Hello there, and welcome to episode two of the Geek ETC podcast. I am Josh. And I'm John. And today we are going to dive into a little bit more about us, and particularly uh, we're going to be going over our top ten video games. This will be split into two episodes. The first one will go over my top ten, and then next episode, episode three, we will go over John's top ten. Are you doing good? I'm doing good. Good. How you been? Uh, a little under the weather, so, you know, apologize for that. Yeah, it's that time of the year. We're just coming out of the holidays, and there's been a lot of, I'm sure, I'm sure everybody knows there's been a lot of sickness going around here and there and stuff. Both had a little bit of things here and there, but. Oh, yeah. It's been wild. You know, last time you asked me a question, um, you asked me a couple of questions that were kind of thought-provoking, and I thought I would do the uh, same with you. Um, all right. All right. I've seen it referenced a couple times recently. If you had a lightsaber ignited mm. and you dropped it straight down, <laughs> perfectly vertical, perfectly vertical, how far would it go down? Because I think I've got an answer to it. What about you? I I know where this question or this reference comes from. Yeah, I happen to see that. Uh, I'm assuming this is kind of a callback to this recent episode of Rick and Morty that came out. They did a bit on that where. Morty had a lightsaber and dropped it completely vertical. And I guess they set up in the episode as well that if a kyber crystal were to reach the Earth's core, that it would detonate and like explode the planet. Ooh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> right. I mean, it, that seems like, sure, that in, in science, science logic, that seems like something that could happen. Yeah, I, I saw a clip of it. I've not watched the episode. I, I haven't seen it either, but I've seen the clip too. But that's a, it's an interesting theory. Um, I mean, we've seen in the movies how, I mean, they, you know, like cut through that bulkhead door. That was, that was episode one, Craig. Mm -hmm. When was it, did they go to see the Senate or was that? That was Qui-Gon Jinn opening the bulkhead door on the, uh, the, the battleship. It was uh, a battleship. The, the, um, when the Trade Federation tried to poison them. With the gas. Yeah. It's been a minute since I've seen that first one need to go back and rewatch that but yeah like i mean it he had to kind of hold it in there and i'm sure that's some kind of like you know durasteel like crazy you know metal alloy thing from the star wars universe so it's probably pretty stout but as we saw you know with a little bit of time it could melt and carve through that so i would imagine something like rock or you know minerals or bedrock or that kind of stuff wouldn't be able to stop a lightsaber okay so i guess in theory if it was perfectly vertical it well that's the thing too is if the width or if like the uh, diameter of the blade is wider than the hilt itself to actually burn a hole wide enough for the hilt to fit through behind it which it can't be because it comes out of the hilt that's a good point but also it would be hot enough that it would just still melt it enough for it to go through interesting thing to think about See, i don't know i, I want to point out that a in a perfect world if you did that let's say we did it with a uh, we took the lightsaber dropped it vertically ignited it would hit melt in and at some point i'm assuming the the rock is going to cool pretty quickly behind it and I think it would just trap the hilt oh. in there, in the rock, in the molten rock, and you would just have a lightsaber dangling that would eventually just... The only way that wouldn't happen is if, yeah, it was able to burn it so quickly 
that it, it could build momentum like when something falls oh terminal velocity mm -hmm. if, if it were able to burn quick enough to fall at like a terminal velocity thing so that it would fall faster than the rock could cool behind it that would be the the only way it could i guess continue on down through stuff yes but then and then here's here's my second conundrum with it's canon that lightsabers are kind of heavy, like the blade themselves, like the way that they're wielded, you know, like we think about the Mandalorian, how he couldn't just swing it around. There's a good chance if you dropped it, it would just fall over. True. Because there is a super, you know, it, it takes like a lot of finesse. I think there's episodes of the Clone Wars for sure in the Mandalorian when he wields the darksaber. It's not an easy thing to just pick up and swing it around like right. a, like a Jedi would because it's it has it has some type of like a gyroscopic property to it that really throws things off you say you think about it too like it's made of light so how could it weigh anything and that's a great question I don't know but it's also not real so maybe it, it does in in Star Wars universe possibly well if it's like superheated plasma I think it would have some type of weight to it but yeah I mean that's same for all know like how, how does that move through air like, does it create its own air resistance, thus adding some type of weight feeling to it? Maybe the midichlorians pull it the whole oh, way. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's a debate. Um, but on that same kind of topic, I, I've heard the question uh, proposed many times on what would happen if a lightsaber met adamantium? Could it melt adamantium? Mm. Well, see, you're more you're more familiar with adamantium than I am. I would assume, I mean, there are canon some like durasteel uh well, yeah, there's or... vibra blades which vibra blades are a type of uh, like a metal and stuff in the star wars universe that can clash with lightsabers so you know uh sith or various other uh people are able to fight against a, uh, someone with a lightsaber using a vibra steel blade so it seems to me then that those are adamantium and that's canon so oh so what you're saying is the mutants are in star wars uh, I'm saying that, well, no, 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 the Star Wars is in the mutants, really, because Star Wars came first, because it's thousands of years ago. It was, a long, ago. it was a long, long time ago. In a galaxy pretty far away. That's what I've been told, at least. So, um, yeah, we, we uh, want to talk about the uh, top 10 games, and this is your episode, and so yes. uh, gaming is definitely something really big with us. It's one of the first things that we bonded over. Oh, for sure. Countless countless uh evenings and hours and late nights spent uh running co-op through a bunch of stuff yeah um, co-op couch co-op multiplayer online you know even just watching each other taking turns you know we we, we grew up in the like the golden era of video games for sure and um yeah you know those those first i think the first time i ever met you you were playing halo 2 maybe or something like that i mean one of the first time i ever went yeah. to your house i think you're playing halo 2 and um yeah, I remember playing with you, a lot of fun. It, you know, you knew all these uh, really cool um, glitches and things to do that were very interesting to me that had never occurred to me where you're going outside the map and mm. getting skulls and doing all these things. And it was really interesting. Right. And we will get into that some because that might show up later. All right. Well, so tell me, you, do you have any like honorable mentions that didn't make it into your top 10? I do. Uh, I will I will pull those up at the end once I go through my oh you can go through top ten first main ones here um and I'm gonna start with the oldest one and what 
I guess may have been my first, thinking back what would have been my first favorite video game. The first thing that fell into that category. And also, uh, disclosure on this, like, I'm not uh, doing mine in any particular order, just because trying to, it's like trying to pick your favorite child. I, I love all of these games, and they're all things that, trying to whittle down to a top 10, they're all stuff that I would still, you know, gladly pick up and play today, no matter how old they are, that they still are fun to me. You know, and everybody has different opinions or preferences in games and stuff. And, you know, even if it could be, you know, technically classified as a bad, you know, or kind of crappy game, you know, someone may still enjoy it. And I think that's something that was going to be a theme here in the Geek ETC podcast is just do what you like, do what you enjoy and have fun. Yeah. Again, like we're uh, all about promoting, you know, you can geek out about anything and don't be ashamed of that. You know, embrace Embrace it. Geek culture is not as taboo or made fun of as it used to be you know, back when we were kids and stuff. So it's like that's the popular thing to do now. Fly free and have fun. Um, so anyway, yeah, my first one I'm going into would be Pokemon Silver for the Game Boy. And I guess technically it was a Game Boy Color game, but I didn't have a Game Boy Color at the time. I just had the OG like gray Game Boy to play it on. You know, no backlight or anything, and you, like if you were playing at night in the car, you'd have to wait for a streetlight to go by mm. to be able to see what was on the screen. And uh, either that, or if you got, um, eventually, I got a Game Boy Advance and could play it on there, and I had a worm light. It was a little coiled light that you could just plug into the, had like a USB, or I guess it would have been like, or it may have been some kind of proprietary port from Nintendo, but. You could have the little light that just shined on the screen. And so you'd have a, a glare on the screen the entire time, but you could see it play it. So I didn't care at the time. But that was one of the first games that I I remember at one point seeing like a playtime of over 200 hours put into it. And I, I would take that thing everywhere. It came out in 90, let's see, in the US. I guess it came out around 99 or 2000. So somewhere around there, but I would take that thing everywhere, any kind of family event or, or, you know, road trip or vacation or whatever we were doing, I had it with me. And I remember having, uh, probably close to 200 hours whenever my sister took it and overwrote my save file. Oh, that. that's just the worst for it sure. Was. Cause back then too, you could only have one save on it. You couldn't have, there wasn't multiple save slots or anything like that. So you had your one save, and if you accidentally saved over it or something happened, it was gone. There's no way to recover it, you know, that I'm aware of. You know, a, a Game Boy Pocket, a pack of batteries in a road trip is super uh, nostalgic for me. You know, yeah. I, the street light hitting the things, just trying to, like, get just enough game time in. Um, I think it's something that uh pokemon blue specifically was mine and it was mm -hmm. it was a lot of fun and it was it was a nice because back then i did you know i didn't get it till it was old right and it made the long road trips for the holidays so much easier mm -hmm. yeah i never had a I never, I never actually owned blue red or yellow but one of my buddies had one and i you know played them a little bit from time to time when we'd hang out or whatever but um whenever gold and silver came out and uh, my parents got me that one. I was instantly hooked. Um, but because there was like this, you know, I was really into Pokemon at the time too. Like had all the trading cards and stuff and any other 
like games or stuff you know love the tv show but you know there's this new you know and everybody knew the 151 pokemon that exist like i at the time i could have like rattled through all of them i was so into it um but now there's this second gen like what there's more pokemon and how many more did that add i think added another 150 or 150 somewhere around there um essentially almost kind of doubling the amount to go, to coincide with that too the show uh came out with their next season that Ash and the show went from the uh, Kanto region to, and it was Pokemon Johto. And so that was the next region was the Johto region, which these games took place in. And also, I guess there may be some spoilers in this episode too for, you know, 23-year-old games and stuff. <laughs> so if, if you're in the middle of a silver gold playthrough, just, just a heads up. It was really awesome because it, you would, you're in this new region and stuff. There's all these new Pokemon, but you still had some of the old ones in there as well you could catch. So you had uh, a lot of variety. Um, and they added different mechanics and stuff in the game, but one of the most shocking things in the game that like completely caught me off guard as a kid was you play through this whole thing and you go through all the different towns and get all eight badges, you know, to be able to qualify for the to uh, compete in the Pokemon League where you go up against the Elite Four, you know, the strongest of the strong. And you're like, all right, I'm at the end of the game. I've, you know, trained all my stuff up, you know, got them to like level 40-something, 50-something, whatever, and, you know, worked my way, put hours and hours into this and got to the Elite Four. And then you go up against them and you beat them all and you're like, yes, I've done it. I've, I've beat this thing. And they're like, oh, by the way, we uh, need you to go over to this other town and talk to this uh, other Pokemon professor. And you're like, what do you mean? What's going on? And then turns out, once you be get through all the game and beat the Elite Four, you're only halfway done with the game. It completely opens up, and you have the entire Kanto region from the blue and yellow and red versions in the game, too. So you literally have, like, both games in one. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah. So it completely opened up and then you start and you go down into pallet town where blue and them started out and you go through that entire map as well that the way that it's set up is that those are just those two maps are side by side with each other and so you go through and collect all eight badges from all the kanto region and face all their gym leaders and there's like all different pokemon on that side and so you go through basically that whole story from the first one but it's like you know a little bit later so there's some different Team Rocket fiascos going on and this and that. And then you have the whole thing of, you know, tracking down the new legendary Pokemon through uh, all the legendary dogs and then the two birds, uh, Ho-Oh and Lugia. So you got to track all them down and whatnot. Um, but that was, it was really awesome to, you know, think that you were almost done with the game and then you're like not even halfway done. And I think I had like put a ton of hours into it and... Uh, a first like playthrough before I even realized that and then you know again that just doubles the time in it but it was really that really always kind of stuck with me as a really cool uh, unexpected twist in a game for that to happen to put that many hours and then suddenly you're not even done with it in the pre-youtube you know where you're where you're playing that and then you probably got an actual legitimate surprise yeah exactly I think like I had no way to you know I, I don't even know if we had internet at the time um, on our computer at home or anything. So, you know, and I didn't, I don't know if I had any friends that had it, you know, that played it that 
you know, would talk about that or anything. So it was all just uh, discovery on my own, you know, legitimately just naturally stumbling upon that. Yeah, and as a kid, I remember just being completely shocked. Yeah, the, the only other thing I think is, remember, though, they had those, uh, most games like that, they had those uh, companion guides, those actual books that would help you through the whole thing. Remember when they used to sell those for different games? Yeah, definitely. You, uh, I don't know if they were Bradley games or what the brand of them were, but yeah, I had I had a handful of those booklets for stuff on either, I think it was N64 or GameCube, maybe GameCube. I, had, like, I got a, a bunch of those books for some stuff. Um, but yeah, those were definitely helpful, especially if you're like, you know, completionist or wanted to find secret stuff or whatever, hidden things. Sometimes they'd have cheat codes in them or whatever. Uh, yeah, those were super helpful. I do kind of miss those, but now, you know, you can find anything you want on a YouTube video or some kind of article online as far as walkthroughs. There's, you know, a million walkthroughs of every game that show every little hidden secret and stuff you know, how to get every achievement and whatnot. Yeah, that was probably my, my first game that really stuck out as that really latched onto and became one of my favorites. And I, I think I, like I did, I found a, a, I downloaded like a ROM on my computer, maybe four or five years ago or something and tried and did like another kind of playthrough of it. And it's still fun. I still enjoyed it. You know, it like, and you, even though you kind of know the story, you know, and know what's going to happen, all this stuff, you can run through it with a completely different team of Pokemon. And so you get a completely different experience. So, you know, you could try running all fire Pokemon or something just as a, you know, challenge to yourself to see if you can make it through. Most important question, who was your starting Pokemon? The main one that I, uh, on like, I think my longest playthrough that I had, and a lot of people, you know, would say that it wasn't the right choice, but I, I started out with Chikorita, the grass one, which, you know, would evolve into Bayleaf and then to Meganium. But Meganium is a pretty tanky Pokemon and has some pretty good defense and stuff, but you, know, you eventually you get things like Solar Beam. That mixed with Sunny Day, which made it where you didn't have to charge Solar Beam. You could just blast it. And so if you paired some of these things up pretty well, then uh, you could uh, cause some pretty good damage. I never quite got into it. Like, seeing some of the uh, playthroughs people do on the games now, like, they are, or they've got, like, completely uh, much more complex strats and stuff, and, like, uh, there's a lot more stat-based stuff in, in the modern games and stuff as far as, like, their nature or different, like, special skills the Pokemon have and stuff and whatnot. So they're definitely a lot more complicated than they used to be. But, you know, as a kid, like, I was just, you know, I didn't really have any strats. I was just playing. I wanted to use the ones that I thought looked cool or whatever. Charizard was always, like, the coolest one or Mewtwo or something. Another thing I just remembered about it is uh, eventually I did... I think one of the first secret things I did find out about it was one of my friends told me how to clone stuff in the game. There's a special kind of technique that you could put an item on a... Well, it was initially uh, about cloning the Pokemon itself. You could put them in the PC and then go to save your game. And like if you turned the, the Game Boy off at this specific right moment... Like, while it was saving, when you turned it back on, then you would still have it in your party, but it would also still be in the computer. And so then you'd have two of them. And then any item that you put on them, it would also clone that item. So you could clone rare candies and master balls and catch, like, all the legendary Pokemon first try. And then level all your stuff up as many times as you wanted. 
So at one point I had an entire team full of Mewtwo's and, you know, could just go back and like burn through the Elite Four just for the fun of it. My next uh, top 10 is Super Smash Brothers Melee. The first one, when it came out, that was also kind of revolutionary that, you know, the only fighting game experience I had up to that point was Mortal Kombat 4 on the N64, which that was awesome at the time. You know, that's the first experience, like I said, experience I had with a fighting game. And it, it was cool or whatever, but now, you know, with Super Smash Brothers, there's this game out that, you know, had all these characters from all these different things. You know, there was only, I guess, like eight and then like four secret characters in the first one. So it wasn't a you know, huge roster, but still having like Mario fighting Link, fighting Pikachu, fighting Kirby, like that was, again, mind-blowing at the time that like, you know, they all had their different powers and moves and stuff, and there was maps for each of their, you know, themed games and all that stuff. It was, that one was so much fun. And I, and I guess that, you know, as an early thing, that would be an honorable mention for me, that first Super Smash Brothers. But when Melee came out on the GameCube, uh, came out in 2001, that one kind of took it to the next level because there was a much bigger roster of people and then stuff from games that I had, had never even played. Like there's people from Fire Emblem and some other stuff that I had never, you know, played any of those, but they were ended up being some of my favorite characters to use in the game. But I spent many hours in that and being able to, you know, put on, you know, CPUs and stuff and you could crank up their levels and just fight against them with different things. And you had the like smash the target challenge and then you had a challenge where you had this giant uh, beanbag thing that you'd have to get the home run bat and try and charge it up and, you know, knock it however many meters you could and stuff. And there was a bunch of little mini games and challenges and trophies to collect. So I spent many an hour, you know, trying to just do all of that that I could in that game. You know, uh, it's always a guess game for me, and i.e. me being the guest, because I didn't grow up with any consoles. So mm-hmm. anytime I was at somebody's house, a friend or something like that, and they had the N64, the original Super Smash Brothers, yeah, that was the mm-hmm. fun game to play. And it stinks because, like, it seemed like a lot of people that actually had it didn't enjoy it until somebody was over. And so, like, I mm-hmm. always got the just pure fun out of it that they were also having because they had somebody to play against and even having multiple, I remember several times there was like three or four people playing. Right. And that was like, to me back then, I never wanted to stop. I was always disappointed when I had to go home or when the sleepover was over or whatever it was. And, uh, it always left me wanting to do more. Yeah. And that like, definitely, that was also one of the first games I remember that and maybe like Mario Kart where you could have like four people all playing at the same time in the same thing. And that, that, you know, big, like that was like big multiplayer back in the day was having four people on the same TV doing stuff. And the fact that it wasn't like split screen either, that it was all just one screen, you know, they'd zoom in and out, you know, depending on how big the map was and stuff, but having you and like three of your friends all playing in the same thing and fighting against each other was awesome back in the day. And yeah, I had a lot of those same experiences where like, you didn't want to stop because you could just keep playing rounds more more rounds over and over and over again. You're like, well, I'm going to do different characters this time. And we do, you know, they would choose different characters. And, you know, you'd have to learn all their moves and come up with combos and stuff. And then you throw in all the items you could get, you know, and you could have the Pokeballs and that that would were random. And, you know, you'd try and get legendaries or something out of them. And, you know, depending on what you had. And you had preferable uh, weapons, like didn't care for some of the ray guns that you'd shoot things with but like the beam saber was awesome to get and everybody would rush towards that that was definitely 
a really fun experience back in the day, just getting in there with a few friends, you know, everybody picking their, having their main that they would play. Uh, mine particularly that I got the best with was Fox from Star Fox. Same. Star Fox was my guy, and then occasionally I'd throw a Kirby in because somebody would destroy me with Kirby. And so I would have to be like, how do they do that? And I would do the two. But yeah, for sure, I think, what was it, Down and B or something like that was he shot your gun. Down and B was the shield, the reflective shield, that if someone had a ray gun or some other projectile, you'd have the little blue sort of like hexagonal uh, shield that would come up that could reflect stuff back at them. That's Um, right. Pressing b by itself would shoot his his laser pistol and you could fire it as fast as you could push the button too it didn't have any uh the opponent wouldn't experience any knockback or anything from him, so they could still charge towards you and it wouldn't stop them but it you could rack up some damage from afar if somebody wasn't paying attention or was engaged in a different battle with someone else you could just stay off on the side and just pick them off you could also hold it down too and have like a longer beam right no oh okay not with his uh, blaster. There was an item called the Super Scope, which is based off of a toy that Nintendo had, which was a shoulder-mounted thing that you could press it and do like a rapid-fire thing, but if you held it down, it would charge up a big blast and then shoot like a big beam, similar to Samus's arm cannon. Oh, okay. Kind of thing. And that's been a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, he had that, and then you could press like up and B, and he'd like ignite into fire and like shoot like... I don't remember Fox being a Super Saiyan in any of his video games, but I guess that's a power he has to, you know, ignite into flame and fly around, but I thought it was cool. But could he do a barrel roll? Probably. He definitely could in the games uh, back in the day. And after him, I guess I would throw in some Captain Falcon because I liked the really fast characters that could that you could punch really fast or, you know, escape very quickly if someone was you know uh had some particular weapon or something you could just outrun them on the map and they could never catch you so those were kind of my favorites it was either that or occasionally i would throw in bowser who was just like a big you know tank character that if you charged up one of their smashes and hit him like with your horns or something then you could do ton of damage and knock them really far away and so it's kind of one i'd kind of go one or the other things occasionally you know throwing some other ones just for fun but yeah either like fox pikachu or captain falcon those really fast characters uh, were kind of my preferred flavor for melee. But yeah, that was definitely uh, definitely deserving of a, a top ten. But many hours in that game. Next, uh, sticking with the GameCube, if I wasn't playing Super Smash Brothers, I was probably playing Sonic Adventure Two. That was I never played Sonic Adventure One. I think it primarily came out on Sega Dreamcast, and I never had a Dreamcast. I didn't know anybody who had a Dreamcast. So I never really got to play it. I think I saw, I may have saw somebody playing it at some like cousin's house a long time ago kind of thing or something, but it was just a, a little bit of it. But yeah, we get Sonic Adventure 2, and it was particularly uh, Sonic Adventure 2 Battle on the GameCube because it added some multiplayer modes that were like some versus modes and stuff that you could do, you know, race against each other or do kart racing or some like treasure hunt things. But uh, that game was really awesome because the way that the story worked is you had two you had a, a hero story and a dark side story that you could run through so you could run through the hero one and it was this kind of connected storyline where you could play a sonic tails and knuckles on the hero side and it was this whole you know long campaign that you'd go through all these different levels and you know get through to the very end and then it would uh 
kind of come to the stopping point, and then you'd have to go through and play through the whole dark side story as Shadow, Rouge, and uh, Dr. Eggman, or as I prefer to call him, Dr. Robotnik. You know, as I knew him before this game, I, I always thought that was weird. I was like, who's Dr. Eggman? I thought he was always called Dr. Robotnik. And I, and I haven't looked into it, but I feel like there might be some lore in that, like, they're, they're two different people, but related. Like, one's a grandfather or something. I don't entirely know. I'd have to fact check that. Yeah, you, you run through both uh, stories, and then once you completed both and you got to the end, then it would there would be a final level that would unlock where you would fight this, like, giant space lizard thing. I forget what it was called, but it was, like, attached itself to a space station. And, uh, again, spoilers for an old game, but um, throughout the whole thing, uh, Sonic and Shadow, you would uh, collect the Master Emeralds, or the, the Chaos Emeralds. Um, throughout the thing and if you collected all the chaos emeralds together then they could it was like literally a ripoff of dragon ball z because they would go super saiyan because they would turn gold and their hair would like stand up and they could fly now so it was an awesome uh like final level where you're like supersonic or super shadow and you're flying in space fighting the space lizard attached to a space station so that was mind-blowing at the time as far as level design and stuff and another thing to mention about this game, one of my favorite things about Sonic Adventure 2 was the music in the game. The in the music in kind of generally in older games, particularly like the soundtracks in games, I feel like were so much better back in the day. Um, but they had a good, a lot of good stuff. But yeah, it was very kind of kind of like alternative rock sort of stuff. And some of the songs in it were kind of heavy too. And I, I still listen to them today because they were just really well done. Um, a lot of them were done by a band called Crush Forty. I'm doing the theme songs and stuff from this game, and they killed it. They were just so awesome songs, and then like the way that they thematically, you know, would play in that final level, and it was like the recurring theme song that you heard at the beginning of the game and stuff, and then it kicked in at the very end of it. It was just like the most cinematic uh, experience. It was just it was super super fun. Yeah, my my only experience with Sonic was the Sega Dreamcast at a cousin's house, <laughs> being garbage at it every time I tried. Um, but I've seen some of the playthrough from, from the, uh, battle and I think it's, man, it, it looks like a lot of fun, especially back then, especially as a kid, that's what you had. Mm-hmm. And yeah, th- those, that platforming game, right. that side scroller, it could, you know, that was the peak age of that. And that's another thing to mention too, is like, particularly for us too, and I know you'd agree with this, that it was like, when you think about your favorite games, oftentimes back in the day, your favorite game was the game that you had because you didn't have a, an infinite selection of games, you know, to be able to download on Game Pass or something like you do now kind of thing. And you had the, you know, the world was your oyster as far as games to choose from. Back then you had a couple games that you had and that's what you played for hours and hours and you, you know, didn't get to play a bunch of different stuff. You had like one or two different things that you'd s- switch between and that's what you played and they became your favorite because that's what you had. That set aside, still thought it was an awesome game. I really liked the kind of level design because if you were like Sonic or Shadow, for instance, they were, you know, high speed, um, kind of like linear uh, track games where you're just, you know, running through the course, collecting coins and, you know, you can find hidden power ups and stuff. And then you're just, it's a time trial thing. You're basically just trying to get to the end as quickly as possible. They'd give you a grading scale depending on how many coins you got and finished with and how quickly you did it or found other secret stuff or whatever. And, and it kept that as a log, and then each level had five versions of the level. 
that the first one was just like a basic. Then you'd have one that I think was just purely a time-based thing. Um, you had ones that were the, a hard mode on the level that there would be certain platforms that would be missing. So you'd have to like jump from enemy to enemy to try and get across certain gaps or like certain pathways were blocked and you had to find different ways around them. So it added a different challenge to it. And then there was the whole uh, uh, third aspect of the game that, you know, I'm sure some people probably ignored, but some people, it was the primary reason they played it was the, the chows. It was essentially just these little kind of like creatures that you would like. It, it was a really strange thing to have in a game because it was very kind of like it seemed disconnected in it. Um, but you would take care of like they were like these little babies that you would collect these animals throughout the levels and you'd go and like feed them to these <laughs> little child baby things and they would grow up and like get stats and stuff. And then depending on, you know, if you you know, would pet them a lot or like shake them or feed them food and take care of them. They would, you know, essentially grow and have a light side version of them where eventually they would get a halo on their head and it would unlock this like heaven map that you could take them to. And it was like this like very serene and peaceful little room where you would like take care of them. And I guess it was similar to kind of like a Tamagotchi type of deal. This this was the age of Tamagotchi, yeah. Right. And all my Tamagotchis got halos because they all died, and I didn't take care of them very well. Right, exactly. But yeah, it was kind of a three D. Oh, there's another thing I was going to mention is this game was, it was shocked because you know I had played the old Sonic games, you know, on the Sega Genesis, you know, the the two D side scrolling Sonic, Sonic Two, played those a bunch as a kid, and so to have a three D Sonic game was pretty mind blowing at the time, and that was really cool. But yeah, with the child's, or if you just literally took them and you could like pick them up and like throw them against the wall or like punch them or kick them or something. And if you just like literally abused this baby, it's kind of, kind of bad. But if you like abuse them, then they would like eventually turn like dark and would like basically be evil. And then another map would open up that was essentially hell. It was like super dark and all the trees were dead. And there was like a pool that had like red water in it. And you could take them down there and had spooky music and stuff. So you could raise them either dark or light or even neutral. And then they had the whole mechanic in there. We could take them to a kindergarten and teach them like school lessons and stuff. And uh, then you could run them through different obstacle courses and races against other NPC chows and you'd, you know, up their stats. It was kind of like an RPG element for these little things, but it, it felt very disconnected from the rest of the game. But as a kid, like, you know, I had a blast playing it and whatnot. It was just, it was literally like a whole nother game inside this, inside Sonic Adventure 2. You know, there was a 30 or 40 year old Japanese businessman or woman and they were in a meeting and they just said, we should be able to hit the babies. That was, and then they agreed to that. As a corporation, they all agreed, hey, let's let us let them abuse the children as well. And everybody was cool with that. So, I mean, props to them for uh, for their forward thinking back then. Yeah, if we abuse these, these baby chows, they will turn evil. And yeah, that's the, that's the thing that they decided to put in there. I never thought about it that way, but you're totally right. Yeah, I always like to picture people in suits uh, making recommendations on like, you know, in, in the marketing or advertising or like in a uh, corporate meeting, you know, all professional and everything. And then, hey, what if we let them, what if we let them beat the babies? <laughs> what if we let them, uh, <laughs> what if we let them assault them? Right. And then... Uh, yeah, there's there's a they go to a, a river of blood in a, in a dead forest. You Jeez. know, this game's a lot darker than I remember now that you mention it. I'd never thought about it that deeply. 
Hmm. But yeah, that was Sonic Adventure 2. Really enjoyed that one. Uh, going from there, uh, right around that was the time that, um, up until that point, I essentially, like, we had a Sega Genesis, but I had only Nintendo consoles. And I think, I mean, for a lot of people, that was kind of the primary thing was Nintendo consoles. Nintendo, Super Nintendo, N64. Nintendo, Nintendo was almost like Kleenex. You know, it was kind of like the... Uh, right. You know, p- parents would just say, go play your Nintendo, but maybe it was what, you know, it could have been yeah, a Yeah, it could have been a Sega Genesis. But that's just what they knew of as the as a gaming console was, yeah, you had a Nintendo. Eventually, then we got an Xbox. And right around that same time, 2001-ish, uh, made that transition from Nintendo to getting an Xbox, which that brought in the whole um, aspect of first-person shooters, which I didn't have a lot of experience with. I, I, I think the only experience I really had was... I had played like GoldenEye and some stuff on the N64 or some of those. I think there was maybe a couple uh, James Bond games or something on the GameCube that I'd played. But it wasn't a lot really there. But as soon as we got an Xbox, then Halo, you know, was a launch title. And Halo completely, you know, changed my mind on what video games could be. And I remember my first experience with Halo, um, I went to the mall with a buddy, you know, this was 2001, so we were kids, obviously, you know, his mom took us there, but he, you know, said he, there was something he really wanted to show me, and there was, I think it was either a Babbage's or an EB Games, uh, I think it was a Babbage's back before they went out of business, it was in one of those old video game stores, like GameStop now, kind of thing, before they took over, and they had the, the consoles with the demos in them, that you go in there and play the things, oftentimes the, like in Walmart, the, the TV was like, way up on the top so you'd like you know kill your neck staring up at the screen um but they had an xbox there and they had halo on it those were back when they had the really huge duke controllers like the really big ones and as a kid you know it seemed ginormous it probably actually fit my hands pretty good now the demo you start out on the i think it's the third level the silent cartographer where you have the classic like halo music like that stuff coming in and you're in the back of the pelican and you fly in on the beach and you hop out and like the Marines are all charging the covenant, you know, there's like guns and grenades and stuff like going off. And then you charge in there, kill them all. And, and it's, and we're doing it co-op, which I hadn't had any really experience with co-op shooters like that before. Um, so that was, you know, when he was showing me that I, I couldn't, you know, believe we're both playing this game at the same time, you know, shooting these guys together. That was awesome. But then you, uh, get through that first wave and you go around the corner and then, another pelican flies in and drops off a warthog. He's like, hop in. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we can both get in the vehicle at the same time? You know, thinking about that now compared to modern video games, that's no big deal. Like, you can do that in any shooter. You can both get in a tank or a helicopter or whatever. But back in 2001, that was unheard of at the time. And the fact that he could hop in and I could hop on the gun on the back, and we could drive around together in this game, fighting Covenant stuff was amazing. Yeah, and you know, for me, my first time playing Halo was the same. It was the same mission, but I didn't play it as a demo. I played it at my buddy Joey's house, and my buddy Joey, his mom was a doctor, and you know, I never got to play a lot of games except at other people's houses because I only had a PC growing up, and you know, mm-hmm. not a great PC at that. And I remember going to Joey's house, Xbox, big controller analog sticks which were really confusing to me at the beginning and mm. um, oh, that's right i didn't even think about that that like yeah even before that the gamecube had 
the C stick, and I guess the N64 had that kind of, on that note, the N64 was the worst design controller of all time because you don't have three hands to hold on to all different things. But like there was, you know, one joystick and so you had minimal kind of stuff. But yeah, you had, I remember that being a thing too, is having two joysticks and having one just be your view. I remember it being so confusing on just moving at the time on how to have one stick to strafe left and right and move forward and back and the other one was your vision. It was very kind of confusing at the time. It was very confusing. And, you know, for me especially. And so I remember Joey's house, same thing. Silent cartographer coming in, Pelican, all of that being, wow, this is insane. And, you know, it was pretty good for us because, you know, Joey's the doctor's kid. He had a nice house. Mm. He had uh, like a big screen TV that we were playing on, like split screen. He had a pool, which obvious to, to me, like I associated pools oh, yeah. with absolute wealth for sure and um yeah man just an absolute blast playing that those missions together co-op and you know uh r.i.p all the marines who died at my hand because i thought it'd be funny to shoot them you know they're just killing yep. killing our own guys just a to get in firefights and b because they had a gun i wanted so Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that first Halo, it was, and it had like a, an awesome story in it. You had this awesome protagonist, Master Chief, that was the kind of, as we kind of mentioned in the first episode, this faceless, you know, hero, you know, that anybody could kind of, you know, put themselves in his boots and stuff, and you know, take over the personification of Master Chief. Um, and then you had this kind of sidekick AI Cortana that was leading you through this and was the voice in your in your head, you know, kind of providing guidance and stuff through the missions. Um, but I, I love the story of it and everything and the sci-fi uh, aspects. Like, all of their kind of proprietary sci-fi stuff they had in there was awesome. All the weapons were cool. The vehicles were awesome. Um, the environments, you know, that's another thing, too, being on um, in that demo when you uh, you don't really realize it at first, but then you kind of stop and you look out at the water and you can see in the distance the halo coming out of the horizon. And you kind of look up and you see it go all the way above you and loops back around. And it just kind of gave you this sense of scale that I hadn't seen in games before. Granted, you couldn't go there, but... Well, couldn't you go out of bounds quite a ways, if I remember correctly, or no? At least in the water. I mean, you could drive out a good ways, you know, and you would go over your head, but it, it eventually hit a uh, an invisible wall. So you couldn't go too far in it. At least not in the first one that I'm aware of. There, there probably might have been ways to get past that, you know, glitches and stuff. But I don't particularly remember that. Yeah, that one and like the the uh, levels were very diverse and stuff. And then eventually, you know, you you think you've seen what there is to see, and then you encounter the flood, and you're like, oh, this just turned into a horror game. And you're down in this. You go, you know, you go through this swamp, and you're hearing these, you know, signs and of like they're encountering something you know that they hadn't seen before and you fight your way all the way down into the bottom of this facility and then suddenly you're rushed by all these small little you know creatures attacking and stuff and latching onto people's faces and things and then you know you fight through them and then the big ones come out that have guns and stuff they're essentially the mutated elites from the covenant or uh, mutated marines that essentially kind of a, a virus a parasite they would uh, latch onto them and take their bodies over and they became zombies of sorts. But not like slow zombies, you know, they would rush you and attack you and, and like, I mean, the shotguns were always one of the best things because they would just blow them into pieces. Yeah, I remember my Joey like, oh, you gotta get the shotgun. Was it an 8-gauge Magnum? It was 10-gauge. Or, or it might have been 8-gauge. I think it was like yeah, an 8-gauge Magnum. Yeah, which, yeah, like, 
because because uh, we were really into the you know lore of the guns and all that kind of stuff as well back then too my my buddies and I and uh, that was also real quick tangent the classic uh, pulling out the the uh, game info and like learning about the stuff yeah I don't think I don't think Halo had that necessarily but a lot of games did so that was so much fun because you know Joey knew all the like it's an eight gauge magnum and this is that and this is whatever mm-hmm. and you know that was. Uh, absolute blast just shotgunning those hordes of flood right them just charging at you like multiple at a time and you're they're coming from every direction out of the holes in the walls and stuff and you're having to fight off the waves and this and that it was really awesome but not much needs to be said about it like it's it it was one of the best games ever made and it kind of you know set a standard for what first person shooters and particularly like co-op play should be you know i know there's been some complaints about the new in halo infinite that they don't have couch co-op in it they have online play, but they don't have couch co-op, which is, like, weird for a Halo game not to have because that was always such a staple is playing that couch co-op through the missions and stuff um, back in the day. Um, but moving on from Halo, uh, right after that that's also in there is Halo 2. That just, you know, for all the goodness that Halo 1 was, Halo 2 just compounded on top of it and just continued that story and, and added, you know, mechanics that were awesome now suddenly you could dual wield weapons. They had submachine guns and stuff, so you could have a submachine gun in one hand or, and a plasma pistol in the other, or you know a pistol in one and then a plasma pistol in the other, so you could kind of noob combo. Granted, they did change the pistol away from the Magnum, which a lot of people were upset about. Uh, me in particular, yes. I was very upset about the, the loss of the Magnum, but the addition of the battle rifle was pretty cool. True. You didn't really have the assault rifle where you had the battle rifle, so three-shot burst, and you could pick people off at distance. It had a scope. You could zoom in. Um, yeah, that was uh, kind of changed the game too. So yeah, and it incorporated, um, now you had the Arbiter, which is this other kind of protagonist, antagonist sort of character that you're, you know, wasn't sure, you know, he was kind of banned out from the Covenant, like exiled because of what he did and essentially, you know, eventually would come to work side by side by Master Chief. And I thought it was cool that if you played co-op, you know, the second person was the Arbiter. That uh, came into play with uh, mine and yours when we would do legendary campaign runs through it. Um, that was super helpful because Arbiter would spawn with plasma grenades. And that quickly became our technique for defeating uh, levels on le- the legendary difficulty. Is I would act as a spawn point and stay back. And you would just keep spawning in with plasma grenades and rush in and stick as many people as you could. Because I am a god with grenades and video games for some reason. And yeah, that was, it was a lot of fun. You would just be my mobile spawn point and spawning with the Covenant weaponry. I didn't love like the plasma rifle was always one of my least favorite guns, but plasma grenades or the later um, brute stick, like uh, spike spike grenades. grenades. Oh my God. If if I can stick a grenade to somebody, I'm doing it. Yes. And and it's true. It's weird that... (laughs) so many first person shooters and stuff we've played that if there's any kind of grenade launcher anything you can mortars anything you can lob and has like a, a trajectory a curved trajectory to it for some reason i don't know why but you just seem to pick up those trajectories and can nail stuff from anywhere yeah it's like my one little one my one little thing that gets me through things is that i was able to do that on so many different games and really yeah. do well even though i'm not like i don't love big explosive weapons but yeah. if i've got a grenade or something where i can launch it i'm good at it yes and you're able to take people out with that stuff um but yeah halo it came out uh 2004 so it was you know a couple of years you know enough to build up some hype from halo um it 
you know, as I'm sure anyone knows, it 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 took over the gaming world um, as far as popularity, and it still is regarded as one of the best uh, you know, first-person shooters ever made. And it's definitely one of mine, and definitely deserves a spot on this list along with the first one. The next one on my list, uh, around that same kind of time, um, this was came out in 2003, was Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, or KOTOR, colloquially known. But yeah, KOTOR was awesome because it was one of my first, I guess, experiences really with a true RPG. I hadn't really played any up to that point, um, but it um, was not only one of the first RPGs I played, but it also had this uh, light, dark, sort of uh, Paragon Renegade aspect to it, where, you know, depending on choices you made through the game, dialogue options, you know, if you, like, killed people or saved people, then you would, you know your character would transition more to the light side of the dark side of the force. And with that, you got extra abilities. You could use dark force powers, you know, more, you know, like force lightning or, you know, the choke thing that Darth Vader would do, stuff like that versus, you know, some more uh, like mind reading or mind control stuff or persuasive healing things that the light side would have, Um, some different abilities and force powers, which was cool. But I loved the story of that and that, again, with some, like, really, like, deep lore Star Wars stuff. You know, it added so many, you know, different uh, planets and different things that, you know, I loved Star Wars as it was from the movies, but now there's, like, you know, this whole other world and different things you never heard about that took place on there. Um, but it was awesome because you start out as, you, you know, you can pick, you can be a smuggler or just a soldier or some, you know, you start as just a basic dude on a ship being aborted and attacked and eventually you know you they you find out you know you might be a force sensitive and you end up going to uh dantooine where there's a a jedi temple and you know you go through training and stuff and they find out you know you're kind of you know usually we don't accept adults into jedi training and stuff but you you know we're gonna make an exception for you because you seem you're able to pick up these force things very quickly you know, unlike anybody we've seen before, and you eventually become a Jedi, and you get to, you know, build your own lightsaber and pick the colors and go on this whole ad, ad, uh, sprawling adventure on different planets and stuff. Yeah, that's huge. You know, anything, anytime that you get deep lore or you're expounding on that, especially in the Star Wars universe, is so much fun. And then the... Um, one of the things I hate about the modern movies is, is you know, we, get, we deal with the whole rule of two... Um, you know, two Sith. There's always two Sith, no more, you know, master and apprentice. And when we start looking at those old battles where you've got hundreds of Sith fighting hundreds of Jedis, you know, mm-hmm. with, with, with lightsabers, that is awesome. You know, harkening back to Star Wars Clone Wars episode two, um, when you see that many Jedi on screen with a lightsaber, it just, there's something that feels really cool about it. Mm-hmm. And you get kind of that, um, almost Lord of the Rings type of feel right. epicness to it uh, outside more than smooth than like just the firefights or whatever. And, um, I really, 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 really hope the old Republic comes into play more in the future. Right. Yeah. There was, you know, you would fight many times you'd run into a dark Jedi would be one of your opponents where like, you know, there'd be like three dark Jedi all with red lightsabers and you, and they'd have like, a regular lightsaber in one hand and a short lightsaber in the other. And I'm like, they're short lightsabers? I mean, I know Yoda had one, but that's like this whole new thing. And it could be in your off hand and get like an off hand 
um, you know, plus or minus to, you know, a secondary attack kind of thing, like um, kind of a two-weapon dual-wielding sort of thing. If you were to think about uh, D&D, you know, two-weapon fighting, that like, you know, you're offhand, you don't get to add proficiency. And that's something, if you looked into really how the game was working, it legit would worked on um, virtual rolls and stuff, like rolls of dice and stuff that would happen as in like D&D and stuff that, you know, you had different modifiers in the same way that you do um, in D&D. You'd have like, you know, your intelligence attributes or charisma. And so it was uh, after, you know, playing this game, you know, second time later in life after playing D&D, I kind of had a deeper understanding on the mechanics of the game. I'm like, oh, this is really just the same kind of mechanics and stuff as far as attributes or skills and uh, proficiencies and things or expertise and stuff. It was all kind of built the same way, and I, and I understood it better, you know, playing it later after playing D&D and stuff. So that was really cool, but, um, yeah, that was I, that was one of my favorites, and they're actually remastering this game. Um, they're, I think it's like a remake, and not just really remaster. I'm not really sure, but that's, I think, due to come out this year, uh, 2023, at some point, and I would definitely be picking that up and doing a playthrough on that. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. Um but it had really cool characters in it. You had Darth Revan and Darth Malak, which were like these new Sith Lords um, that we hadn't heard of and stuff. But that was really cool. But yeah, the, the Jedi were still, you know, widespread, and there were there were many of them. You know, they weren't just like a couple of them still hanging out around like you were talking about, that there was, you know, armies of them. And there were like armies of Sith, and the Sith was a, a, a widespread entity still in the universe which was really cool. Yeah, it's like the ultimate bad guy, ultimate good guy. And I think that's, you know, the the, the movies did really well with, you know, like, oh, there's Sith are bad. But the fact that the Sith are ubiquitous, there's a many of them, and they're out there, makes the threat ever more present. And, you know, I think Star Wars picked up on that a little bit because we start seeing the Inquisitors and all these kind of, like, extra red lightsabers coming in, mm-hmm. even though... They were, you know, they're they're not technically Sith because there's only one, right? We've right. Got, we've got our we've got the dark side, you know, Inquisitors who are like dark Jedi, but the the fact that you could have multiple Sith and you know there was there were the the actual Sith race, correct? Right. Yeah, and that's kind of how this wasn't here because looking at the uh, on the Wikipedia and stuff here, this the plot of this takes place four thousand years prior to the movies. So that's a that's a long time, and essentially what it's saying is Darth Malak, Darth Revan's apprentice, has unleashed a Sith Armada against the Republic. So yeah, the Sith were you know an entire you know race of people, and at one point you even land on a kind of a Sith homeworld. I think it's Corbon, maybe, mm-hmm. where there are um, these temples of old um, Sith lords and stuff, and there's like four different temples of old Sith lords that you go in and you find relics from them and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, they, it, they were definitely more of a, a presence uh, back in that time, which was awesome. But yeah, that was, uh, I've, I've, like I said, I've done a playthrough of it maybe a few years ago. It came out on like iOS, and I play, even played it on my phone because it, it's a very, a, uh, a game, you know, it, it has some pausing features. Like if you encounter an enemy, you can pause it and, you know, choose which attacks you want to do and then let it play through and stuff so you can kind of play it very casually and stuff you don't have you know which would allow you to play it on like a tablet or a phone um, but it's i enjoyed it on the 
the console. But I'm looking forward to that re-release when that comes out. I'm looking forward to your playthrough, for sure. Yeah, uh, well, definitely, that'll be some uh, bonus content there, for sure. Sticking in the realm of Star Wars, and kind of around the same time, um, branching off from an RPG, would be Star Wars Battlefront Two. And this is actually funny because this is a little, this is actually a little crossover because this one's definitely on my top ten as right. well. Yeah, it's um, the first Battlefront it would be an honorable mention for sure. It was uh, again that we played many hours in that one. You know that couch co-op sort of. You know you would queue up a bunch of um, rounds of uh, gameplay and stuff, and it was very kind of a domination style gameplay where you'd have different points on a map where you'd have to capture and hold um, while you reduced tickets of the uh, enemy team. And then uh, Battlefront Two particularly was awesome because it added in the fact of space battles, which was awesome because you, you know you, you spawn on this. Uh, capital ship and you go out into the hangar and you can hop in and they've got like you know a wide variety of vehicles depending on which um you could also you know choose whether it was the uh, galactic civil war or the clone wars you know depending you could pick you know which one you were doing for the battles and stuff so and depending on which one you chose you could be the rebels versus the empire or like the cis versus the clones um and they would have you know, different weapons and different vehicles and stuff. But you could go out in the hangars. You could hop in an X-wing. Um, you could hop in a Y-wing with somebody else. So that same kind of you know multi-person uh, ship capabilities there, or you know big transport carrier or something. But you probably shouldn't hop in the same ship because it was no. hard to do there. Because I think the 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 Y-wing you could do that. You could shoot those little. Th- auto cannons on top right? right and then there was another ship i want to say it was with the cis or something like that. or no it was the uh one of the tie fighters one of the tie the, bomber the, the tie bomber had the, the like the cell the guided missile horrible horrible one, of all the two ship things that that was probably the most useful was that home missile because you could fly it in and maybe hit another like one of the weak points on the ship or something or like they had the little frigates that you could also destroy yes you can get those frigates and stuff um but yeah that was so awesome because you could you know do the space battles and and your mission was to again uh destroy or like you have to get up to a certain point thing and depend in each capital ship had components to them that you could uh destroy either from the outside or the inside of the ship like their shields their uh life support systems um some of their like their auto turret computers and stuff that would change you know if you went inside and destroyed their auto turret computer then the turrets on the outside of the ship would stop working and so therefore you know you wouldn't get shot down by them if you you know one person was outside dog fighting the other person could go in to disable the auto turrets and provide some support to the other player which was kind of cool um yeah then you would just work on uh, disabling this whole capital ship and eventually try to uh, get a score to finish the match which was yeah it was so much fun I've, you know that was almost like we had a plan every time we had to go take out the shields take out their auto cannons hop mm-hmm. back into ships you know could we steal enemy ships i don't think we could yes. yeah we could we could steal enemy ships couldn't you? you you could fly into the the enemy hangar and then yeah take their tie fighters or whatever have you Oh, yeah, get the TIE Interceptor and, you know, make it sound awesome. Take yeah. go out there, you know, take out some fighters with their own stuff. Amazing. What we do is, is turn up the score on the, you know, completion score for the match so that we'd have um, 
So you could go in and you know have the enjoyment of taking out all the ship systems. If you lifted at the default score limit, that would pretty much be enough score to finish the match if you destroyed all the system things. But we would crank that up so that we could go in, take out all the ship systems, and then still have time in the match to dogfight outside and you know have that fun and try a couple different ships and then you know kill a bunch of uh, ships out in space and then eventually reach that score. And there was always that one AI that was just better. You know, it was like Lars Olran or Thrak Pharrell or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. Who was always just wiping us out. And uh, yeah. everybody else was fine, but there was always that one you got killed by, like Thrak Pharrell or whoever that was just an ace. And those were fun too. There was some good dogfights. You know, it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. The maps were fun just getting into the ships were fun mm -hmm. um you know leveling up your pistol you know that was a good right. way to level up your pistol fighting inside of there you know there was some pretty epic moments just trying to take out the uh the big blue reactor you know right and they would swarm you and you know it wasn't you couldn't just you know they would come in there with their marine droids or marines you know rebels whatever and they would attack you and it was really 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 difficult to escape that Right. Um, and yeah, there was kind of a, this leveling up aspect with the weapons that if you, you know, got, you know, three kills in a row before dying, you could, and you did that enough times, you could eventually level up your rifle to unlock like the elite rifle. It was like a three shot burst, you know, quicker firing rifle as opposed to just the automatic one. And it was the same with like the pistol or, you know, if you did it with the rocket launcher, you could get homing rockets and stuff. So there's this kind of whole nother aspect on, um, completing tasks to level up your weapons and get these elite versions and i could do that you know i remember i was normally a second um user on your xbox you mm -hmm. know you were your j-man or whatever yeah. and i was captain john and i would log into my guest account or whatever mm -hmm. and that would keep that same progress which was a lot of fun the only problem with that one was is you couldn't want you know, the, the three shot burst, great. The flechette shotgun, great. Homing missile, mm -hmm. great. Pistol, great. Oh, I know where you're going. The beam sniper rifle was not as good as the regular sniper no. rifle. If, and like, I think we eventually discovered that the trick was is that it could hit multiple targets at once. You could shoot like through people, but it just seemed buggy because there would be times you'd swear you'd hit somebody and it just, it wouldn't do anything. Zero damage. So it very well could be that we just didn't know how to use it correctly. And I never figured it out, but I don't think so. We had enough game time in there. You want to, you guys email us and tell us what you think. Right. Uh, but I, I think for me that when the beam rifle, I always try to avoid it now. Cause when we use the beam turret on the other hand, you know, when you were that engineer yeah. and you built up those turrets, you know, when you're, when you're on Kashyyyk and you build up the turrets yeah. and there's just waves of them coming at you and you're just boop, boop, boop. That, that was a lot of fun. And we knew how to use those. I think the sure. sniper rifle was just a little buggy. And, you know, sometimes we were uh, shot down by our own success because we would get so good with the sniper rifle that eventually mm. you'd wind up with the beam rifle. As soon as you hit Y and change guns and change back, you'd yeah. wind up with the beam rifle and you'd be stuck with it. Yeah. And then that was, yeah. And then you're like, well, I don't, I don't want this. But yeah, like that, there was a, a lot of good battles. And then, yeah, you get to, um, you know, you'd go on these planets that you'd see in the movies like Hoth or Kashyyyk or some of these places that are like look familiar, but like they're the different locations and stuff. Uh, but yeah, you could be on Hoth and you could literally have that battle from the movies where you have the ATATs uh, walking in and you'd have to hop in the little fighter jets to attach the towing cable to the legs and fly around them in circles to trip them. 
you could do that whole thing, which, which you cool. could also do co-op, but you shouldn't. You should let one of the other people yeah. pilot, and you should let yeah. one of the other people shoot one of the AI because they're better at it than the person is. Very much. So. It was really satisfying when we could do it together, um, and it felt really good. But yeah, like if you're actually trying to accomplish it and get it done quickly, it was much better to just let an AI shoot the grapple thing because they would hit it almost every time. And the ATATs were just godlike. They had mm-hmm. godlike power, and I loved the splash damage. The splash yeah. damage made it so scary you know when you shoot off that main blast the green one oh my goodness and it would hit boom and you'd take out a whole thing you know that honorable mention from the battlefront you know uh, from the first battlefront Mm -hmm. you get that orbital strike (laughs) just you get that huge big blast radius and that was it is so fun to wipe out like seven or eight people with that yeah you'd see the kill feed come up and just it'd be a ton of them that, that was that was always super satisfying uh some of those things like that like yeah in the first one the the recon class could have a little drone that you could fly around and you could hit left trigger and you would call in an orbital strike it would just blast down and yeah like splash damage kill all ton of guys um you know one of the well one of the things i didn't like is sometimes some of those specialty guys didn't seem like they were as fun to play because like their weapons were a little right. wonky had a flamethrower type of thing that wasn't great yeah it's like a Bothan spy Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was or the the disruptor gun. It was like a yeah. it was like a uh, it it would like uh, dissipate them or whatever. Yeah. My God, what was it? It, it? it was a disintegration gun or something like that. Yeah. Disintegration like submachine gun, and you had to reload after every time you pulled the trigger. And mm. you could go invisible though, but it was kind of janky. Yeah, some of those guys weren't as fun to play. But then you had you know some which were an absolute blast. And yeah, I loved I love love loved that game. You know, um, and this, since it's on my top ten too, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig in a little bit more so that mm-hmm. way we don't have to rehash it in my in uh, episode three for next week. But mm-hmm. the um, one of the things I really liked and was the Galactic Conquest mode, mm, right? And the real time strategy aspect of that. That that's a good point. Yeah, you kind of had you plan out, you know, which systems you were going to conquer and try and take over, and you could apply different uh, buffs to the matches that you do. Like, do you have back to tanks, you know, for extra health, or do you have reinforcements so that if your tickets get too low, boom, you get another like 100, 200 guys in your tickets, you know, right. as a boost. And you know, you would also have to unlock which troops you wanted. You know, because right. you only started out with just like the basic rifleman. Right. And so that was kind of cool because you got to kind of customize your army a little bit. You know, maybe you didn't want to have, you know, you had to choose how you spent your points yeah. and building multiple fleets yep. and actually getting in those fights. I, we had a lot of interesting ones on those bigger maps, you know, where, you know, we build a fleet and we would take it somewhere. And the next thing you know, we'd have to we'd have to send a whole nother one right back because they took over one of our planets yeah, they took one of the other ones and it, but it was nice with that is you you know because you unlocked the uh which units you want you wouldn't have to unlock the bothan spy or you know the uh empire engineer whoever it was the ones you didn't like and so you wouldn't have any of them on there to you know take up some of your uh tickets and stuff you know with these kind of crappy characters you could just build a your whole, you know, troop would just be the better characters, which was fun, especially for your AI compatriots, because then you're dealing with just, you know, there's something cool about just a bunch of B1 battle droids, yes. and then there's there's no other ones, you know, there's a bunch of B1 yep. battle droids. Uh, but I th- was that the base unit in for the CIS? Was like the B1? I believe so. Okay, yeah, all right. 
And then the 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 uh, B two battle droid was one of the more uh, special classes, right? Right. Okay. I believe that's right. Um, might have to fact check that, but uh, yeah, like, and then it was cool on the CIS. You know, you, you had again those specialty units. You'd have like the droidicas, the the battle droids. You could roll in there and then you know un like like transform and then activate the shield barrier around you. And you had the two like you know basically rapid fire blaster cannons on arms that you could just demolish and mow down people with them. Yeah. And good luck dealing with that. Good luck dealing with that, especially when the AI used it and they used it to like their maximum capability. They were, they were a pain in the butt to deal with. Two of those things would roll up on you. And like, unless you had somebody on rockets or something to apply that damage and take down their shields quickly, even when you got rid of the shields, they'd die pretty fast, but those shields were beefy. The shields were beefy, and, and it seemed like they would always roll them into a choke point. And that mm-hmm. was one of the worst things, is when they roll them into a choke point, and Thrak Pharrell or BD-123 <laughs> just wipes you over and over and over again. Yes. Yeah, that was, it could get frustrating for sure. But, yeah, there there was, that was one of the games, too, that yeah, you could play the same, you know, it, it there was a good selection of maps, but it didn't, it was so different every time you played it that, it never really got old. Even to this day, like we still went back and played it, you know, not that long ago, kind of thing. And it's it's one of those games that is kind of timeless because every time you play it, it's it's a different experience on the maps and stuff. Um, we'll probably do some uh, gameplay of that in the future at some point because it's it's still fun. Oh yeah, we have to. Yeah, yeah, I, I still enjoy playing that game. Um, I have to check that out again. Continuing with some shooters and stuff. This one definitely holds a special place i know on both of our hearts rainbow tom clancy's rainbow six vegas 2 um this game um back in the day you know in the time of a blockbuster and renting video games you know that was what you did is you know you know in the weekends you know if you were good that week and stuff or you happen to save up you know enough from something you could go and you know rent a game for the weekend for a few days and you know, you'd try and play as much as you could over the weekend before you'd have to turn it back in, you know, to avoid late fees and whatnot. Um, but this game, uh, I think we ended up, like, we enjoyed playing it so much. Cause it, had, it had that of essentially a tactical, uh, you know, shooter um, where you would uh, go through and, you know, clear rooms and stuff. You, you had the missions, the, the campaign you could play through co-op, but then you just had just the, I guess, kind of more arcade uh, missions you could do where you essentially fought against waves of enemies sort of deal where you just you had there was like a number you know there's 30 or 50 npcs uh bots terrorist hunt right was that what it was called yeah, oh, right yeah terrorist hunt in in and the thing where you have to go and you and your mission was literally just to eliminate all of them and you'd be on you know some varying mapping through you know a casino or some kind of villa or some other uh, map like that and your mission was just to uh, kill them all, but, but this game, uh, one of the things that I, I liked about it is it added this kind of, I think we kind of talked about it a little bit in the first episode too, that added this character customization aspect to it, which was one of my first experiences in a shooter particularly that had character customization. And it was pretty thorough. Like there was, a, you know, as you leveled up and um, went through the ranks and stuff, you'd unlock different camos for your gear and stuff. You'd unlock different weapons, or different, you know, helmets or different outfits and stuff that you could have and you could customize them all as far as what kind of camos they are colors and we spent a lot of time doing that and uh having fun with that um but 
these uh, the terror stunt mode i think we particularly played the, the most because again just these even if you played it um you know time and time again oftentimes it would be different some of them would be different there are a couple levels though that after playing them enough you essentially would learn where the spawns would happen and how to trigger the spawns and so you know if you went to this one room and sat next to the door that all the enemies in the level would essentially spawn right outside that one door but after they would spawn in you know you could you could cue them all to spawn and throw like attach a c4 to the door and then just blow the door with a c4 and it would kill like 15 of them and you'd, you'd have those um you know moments where these ragdoll people would just go flying through or like this big huge pile of them and one of the cool things too is you know we could go loud we could go quiet you know it was fun to, it was fun to try different ways in, in, in different right. difficulty modes and uh you know they were challenging but the other fun thing was like some of the destructibility you know because we could blow doors right you could blow up doors with c4 and stuff and you could shoot through them as well shooting through the doors was a lot of fun you, you know especially you'd see that muzzle clip or something like that for like the pixels clip and you knew oh, there was like door. a bunch of people and then you'd start just dinging that door hearing that thud 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 thud, thud. Yes. you'd hear the door noise hear the body noise that was really satisfying as a gamer what was also awesome in it that I liked about those early Rainbow Six games is, you know, we'd be in the door pressed up against it so they couldn't open it, and you'd hear the bunch of them outside, and then one of us, you could literally shoot where the hinges would be at on the door, and you'd, you'd shoot one of them, and then when you're like, ready, you'd blast the other one, the door would fall, and then you just open up with a machine gun. That's right. I and remember that. We had a lot of fun doing that. I think we, you could also use a snake cam to look under the door, and you could you, see how many there were. You could. I remember, and you'd see just feet, 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 feet. Like you'd see boots everywhere. Yes. Um, but that, that was, yeah, really awesome. Yeah, or you just, yeah, light up the door itself, and you'd get all the hit markers, and you'd you know, get the kill feed instead of all of them falling down. And then if you shot the door too much, though, then it would just destroy itself. So you'd kind of figure out that nice mix of enough to wipe out some of them, but not enough to destroy this door so you'd still have cover. Mm -hmm. And then you can loop around, you know, outside, you know, flank them around another side and take them out. And, you know, there's just something really cool about two bros who are repelling upside down with pistols, suppressed pistols. Right. And, you know doing you know like there was that one convention center or whatever i remember and like there was definitely several times in there where you could just both of you could repel upside yes. down you know aim at a dude take him out quietly very splinter cell like it was very yes. satisfying and man just a lot of fun and you know maybe you were the guy that goofed you know mm. maybe you were the guy that accidentally shot loud you forgot to put your suppressor on and that turned yep. into a whole thing it was always something different every single time yeah many times it would start out as a yeah, like a stealth uh, operation you'd go in with suppressed weapons and stuff pick off as many as you could because we didn't kind of know where they would spawn but then yeah if like one you missed a shot or something or one of them heard you and then you're like all right it's on and now they're all coming for you and so we would like you know hold up in some position you know in in kind of a corridor make a kill box sort of thing like a fatal funnel sort of deal and then just wait for the waves to come in and just fight them off 
and I, you know, I think that a lot of people realized how fun that was. That's the reason why they made like a lot of like defense things. Like, you know, there was a lot of games mm. that came out with like defense modes against hordes of right. whatever, like here's a war. Here's a war did that first with the horde mode. Yeah. You know, and that was, yeah, we, sometimes we would do that intentionally. I remember we would just fire shots or shoot one person and then just, you know, how many people can we kill coming up the ladder? Yeah. We would know that there would be a, a very defensible, a one way in one way out spot. Um, and we knew it was very defensible, and we knew, yeah, if we shot this one dude in this one place on the map, it would trigger everybody. And so we would sneak our way as po- you know as, as quietly as possible, maybe picking off a couple guys just to get into this location, and then we'd unsuppress and shoot a couple guys or throw a grenade and just wait for them all to come. And there'd be like 50 guys that would all come up, and we'd just try to hold them off from this one position. Yeah, and we did it over and over again, and, you know, I have to think that other people found that fun as well, you know, rather than just moving throughout the whole thing. There's just something fun about, like, a last stand. Yes, yeah, just trying to survive against ways and ways of enemies coming in over and over again. Um, but that was definitely the the, intro, the fun part of that, and we, just, we did that over and over again, the different maps constantly, just surviving. But what I was talking about at the beginning is we liked this game so much, you know, we initially rented it from Blockbuster, we probably rented this game like seven or eight times. At least. Enough to cover the cost on just purchasing it, I'm sure. And I think that was like our original thought. We were like, we've rent, we've bought this game just already through renting it. Yeah, surely. And like, it, it probably would have been more beneficial to just rented it and then never took it back. And they just charged us for it. But um, eventually, I think I ended up buying it used at GameStop. Yes, you or, did. Or something. And then... Uh, then it was on from then we just had it and we could just play as much as we want but yeah we probably ran that thing like seven or eight times we'd like go in and get it the next week after we'd we take i think there may have been one time that we like we turned it back in and then immediately ran it again oh for sure we did yeah for sure like the same day while we're there yeah so much fun you know and another thing is sometimes blind fire is a lot of fun i remember getting on like mm. on a corner and you would go into third person mode or whatever yes. and there was just something fun sometimes about those snapshots around a corner and you take your pistol and you just whip it and yeah. you, with a, and you, you'd, somebody would die without even you aiming. Yeah. That's super satisfying as a gamer too. That, or like with the SPAS 12, you'd have the shotgun that you just somehow one handed lean that thing around the corner of the thing. And because it was a shotgun and you know, they were right around the corner, you just lean around and just pop them. Well, you got bionic wrists obviously oh, from awesome. rainbow six. That's true. You are a special operator so you're you know you're you have a godly strength but yeah that one had a lot of good uh a lot of good of those last stand moments in it for sure so that that definitely earned its place the number of times we were in that earned a place on my list uh, going from there a handful of years later up to 2011 was i guess this would be kind of my next uh experience with and maybe really kind of, I, I guess, a uh, nice old Republic was a, it was a true RPG, but a kind of a, a bigger game, a more serious deal um, with RPGs. This was my first introduction to the Elder Scrolls series with Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. I hadn't played any of the Elder Scrolls before. I heard a lot of people talk about it in high school, Morrowind and Oblivion and stuff, but I never uh, had the means to check them out at the time. But I remember uh, that... Skyrim might have been the last game that I went to a midnight launch for. I remember going to GameStop, and I remember having, I had the soundtrack downloaded of that, like, 
opening main song. And I had it, I, I remember sitting in my car outside of GameStop at like 1130 or something, just playing that song over on repeat. Cause I remember seeing the trailer and like, this is something else. I hadn't played a game like this. This looks awesome. There's dragons and you're like, can like use dragon powers and shouts and stuff. And this whole sprawling landscape of environments and, and it, you know, we, we made fun of it in the, our first episode, how many times it's been released, but the, when you go back and you actually remember the original release, there was a palpable, like, anticipation and like for mm-hmm. it because they did a really good launch. Um, I also hadn't played the Elder Scrolls games with the exception of just playing it at my buddy's house. I remember playing one time when I was a kid, um, when I was, when I was younger, I can't remember which one it was, mm-hmm. but I remember having a bow and pulling it back and shooting a spider or something like that with it. And I was like, man, this is a cool game. Like I, I wish I had a console so I could play this game, right. but I couldn't remember what the game was. And as soon as I got into actually playing Skyrim, yeah. I was like, oh, this, oh, this was probably Morrowind or something like mm-hmm. that, you know, back in the day or, uh, one of those games. Right. Um, yeah, it definitely, it added, like, having that first-person uh, use for, for bows and sword fighting and all stuff. I had never played any game that, had, like, you know, I played first-person shooters a ton, but, like, this first-person experience in a medieval fantasy uh, environment and stuff was completely new to me and very, very refreshing. You know, it was a very nice change of pace to, you know, from the fast-paced stuff of running gun and all the stuff that now I'm, I'm riding on a horse through this, you know, snowy landscape and who knows what you're going to come across. And it, 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 like you mentioned in uh, the first episode, you know, there's, I don't know how many times I've played through it, but every single time there was some mission or some little cave or dungeon that I hadn't ever found before or some NPC that had some side quest that I never ran into. There's almost an infinite number of things to do in that game. Um, I think there technically is. You can like talk to a barkeep and get you know some bounty mission that knows just constantly recycled and stuff. But yeah, having like you know you can have magic and having the RPG elements too that you can kind of design the character you want to play. Do you want to be you know the stealthy archer that you know ninety percent of people default go to even if they try to do other stuff, um, or you could be the kind of barbarian or dual wield swords. Or you can be the mage and have, you know, a staff and use, you know, fire magic or, you know, you know, necromancy stuff and summon, you know, zombies or skeletons to fight alongside you kind of thing. Like there's such a diverse play style and you could even mix and match. You could be a battle mage, you could use magic, but still, you know, stealthy snipe people with bows if you wanted to. And just the diversity of the game um, really really captured me and really captured my imagination and the fun, you know, that I could have in there of this, in this fantasy setting. And, you know, it, it's one of my honorable mentions as well. And it's, um, uh, wild to think about, um, all the customization you could do. I remember, I remember playing specifically, you know, I, I had my main character and, you know, leveled him up to 81 or whatever the, mm-hmm. what the original top out was. And for me, there was something about um, 
I was just going through and doing way too much. Like, I, I didn't put enough into it. I just kept choosing these different storylines. So then when I started creating other characters, I really did put more of like, well, this guy is going to have a steel sword and a longbow. That's going to be his shtick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or I remember seeing that there was a, a um, orc in like one of the cut scenes and he had two axes and he had this cool outfit on with like mm-hmm. these skulls and stuff. I remember that was a Forsworn outfit. So I remember going, creating an orc specifically with the, he's going to be like a dual wielding axe guy, yep. finding my Forsworn thing just to make him look like a jacked, like bloody savage right. that was in one of the cut scenes, one of like the little, uh, you know, spin them around uh, download screens. And I loved that right. playing all those different things. And then you know, there's some of the exploits. I remember, you know, my first character I leveled up, but there's that one book um, that you could get. Yes. The, ooh. Uh, I, don't, I forgot what some, it's called. Some kind of name. Um, but yeah, you could, there was like a glitch that you could put it on like a bookshelf and then like read it while it's still on the bookshelf. And some, I forget the technique too, but there's something you could do to keep reading the book over and over and over again. And every time you read it, you would level up a few times. Yes. And you would, you would level up like a skill set, like all of these different types of skills. And that's why I did for my first one. I remember, I think I did it for a few of them just to get really powerful. Mm -hmm. And that was so much fun. And yeah, I liked having different ones. You know, I like creating my own storylines inside of games Mm -hmm. in my own head. You know, that's something that I enjoy doing. So I would do that, you know, like I had like a dark elf who I'd have like the kind of like half shaved, like female dark elf and I make her kind of like a dark assassin or, you know, everybody likes a Khajiit or, you know, I play an Argonian, you right. know, who, who was like a magic wielder or whatever. But I loved, I loved all those things. I love, um, the, the. A mod community what they've done for it as well because mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest things once once developers open up mod tools it's it's great you right. know because um adding all those there's some of those mods that add so many different spells and so many different spell types and you know that is like a whole nother thing i, I wish it was a little bit simpler to like pop in and out of spells see which spells you want without mm-hmm. having to like pause time go yeah. through like a whole list of them, you know, cause once you learn so many, it's hard to do, but man, there were some really crazy ones, like some super more, like more powerful paralysis ones that would work on anything. Yeah. And there's like know? mass paralysis stuff. You could like par- paralyze like a whole group of bad guys at the same time or something. Or paralyze if you're, if you're, if, if you're speaking properly, Listen. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we, exactly. We, so we, the the paralyze in inland like I remember there was one in the um, there was one spell that replicated there was a sword in the what was the one where you went to the uh, dark elf place what was that down DLC the 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 dragonborn one where we fought the other D- dragonborn yes and there was a um, sword you could get in that and if you did a power move or whatever it's something like the slashing flame towards uh, enemies and there, I remember there was like spells like that that were added into it where you you had that exact same thing right right yeah it definitely had a lot of diversity and that's one of those games too where the mods where you know you'd play through it you know regularly a few times but then you'd load up a save and you'd have the cheat room where you can just go and you're like all right now, now I've played it for what the game is but now I'm gonna you know again be level 100 or whatever have like all the spells unlocked you know have whatever weapons i want you know all this you know all the houses and stuff 
that you, you just kind of have fun with it. You kind of make it a playground of sorts. And with the alternate start, you know, mod, especially because then, you know, starting somewhere, maybe starting with a house and then you can like kind of, you know, mm. RPG, like I'm a citizen of Whiterun. Right. I'm a citizen of, a citizen of, you know, wherever. Yeah. And I live here and this is my house. And, you know, I'm going to go to the anvil and immediately make my leather armor or whatever yeah. I want. So I get that feeling of this is my character without having to go through it. Right. And then I start my playthrough. Right. I've done a lot of that on a lot of playthroughs too, that kind of get into the more RP aspects of it. And there's a few mods, um, survival mods that I download where you can make camping gear and depending on where you're at the weather actually affects you you know if you're in the you know the more northern colder climates you actually have to have fur clothing on and it gives different buffs so that you don't die of hypothermia or like if you get too wet you have to get by a fire and dry off and you have to make food and stuff and so there's a whole kind of adds a survival element to it so it kind of becomes a whole completely different game where you're just like surviving in this you, you happen to be in the Skyrim world in the wilderness but you kind of just got a survival sort of game in there too, which was really cool. So you're saying if I go to the throat of the world and take off all my clothes, I should I should have to suffer hypothermia. I don't think that's really, really realistic. It's pretty cold up there. Also, mean, that in in uh, Parthenax will probably look at you kind of funny too. Uh, I mean, you got to kill Parthenax, right? Eh, you don't have to. You can. That's up to you. I want that blades armor. I want all the blades swords I can get. No, yeah, it's that is one of those man. Yeah, what are you gonna do? You gonna kill Parthenax? What do you? The what choices. Are, a lot of choices. There's a lot of choices. There's a lot of ways to play it. Um, and there's, you know, I really like the Dawn Guard uh, DLC. I thought that was a lot right. of fun. Uh, the, the, you know, from what I understand, they've made the, the, especially in the newest released one, they've made the werewolf and vampire playing styles like a little bit more fun, mm. but. Those were a lot of fun just because they added some extra armors. They added crossbows. Um, right. You know, I loved the the castle Dawn Guard. I thought it was pretty neat. It was a pretty good storyline. You know, the first, that one mission, and you get, uh, God, I forgot what her name is, but the daughter of the Vampire Lord. And it's fun having her as a follower. Right. Yeah, that, uh, as far as DLC goes, that was one of the better DLCs I've played in a game was that Dawn Guard stuff. Because, yeah, it added a whole other element. I'm like, you encountered a couple of vampires in the base game and stuff, but they, like, they were very basic vampires, but this added much more complexity to the vampires and stuff. And, you know, eventually, you know, you could, if you uh, wanted to sign up for it, you could become one. And not only, you know, a regular one, you would be able to transform into the vampire lord form, where you legit were, like, scary-looking. You had wings, you could fly, you know, well, I guess hover, Technically, you couldn't really fly around, but um, you became this like super scary thing. But it was kind of cool that like if you had that, then even in your human form, you're in a town like Riften. You know, you know the patrons are like the NPCs walking around. They'd be like, "You look kind of sickly. Like, are you all right? Did you you know contract a taxi or something? All this stuff." And you're like thinking to yourself, "No, I'm secretly a blood sucking vampire." But just to see how you know, depending on again the choices you'd make would affect different parts of the games and stuff. And you could, you know, you could go to the whole farmer quest line in that. A, you got mm -hmm. that really cool white armor and all that, the snow elf armor or whatever. But yeah. that was, you know, there was a lot to it. The cool bows, the dot, like the exploding, like radiant damage yeah. bows or arrows and stuff. Man, 
what a blast what a fun time to shoot those things and like you know uh you know it was a it was a good storyline and it, it was one of those things i i agree it probably is one of the best dlcs i've ever played outside some of the mass effect ones yeah but i loved the uh the thing that they do with the elder scrolls games similarly in the fallout games is like you have kind of an opening sort of level sequence you know it may be 30 minutes to an hour's worth of stuff it's kind of scripted and kind of linear that you do but then once you get through that you either come out of a cave or a vault or something and then it's just like all right here's the world you can go and do what you want and you have completely free reign that you can literally go anywhere start anything that you quest you happen to come upon you don't have to follow the main storyline at all you can literally you know spend like 80 hours in this game and never fight a dragon and like never even start the main storyline at all which is what I would normally do. I would always just, I would go to Whiterun, never talk to the Jarl, mm-hmm. do my things, go do my fun stuff. You know, I think you get through the majority of, of a lot of the different, like I don't, I think the at some point in the Assassin's Guild, you probably had to start that. The Dark Brotherhood. The Dark Brotherhood one, you had to start the, um, the main storyline for sure for the Civil War at some point you have mm-hmm. to. But yeah, you could do so much and have so much fun. And yeah, I... It was that was what I enjoyed doing. I really was happy when the alternate start mod came around because then I essentially does the same thing, right? Without having to go through Helgen first. You can just skip that whole first part and get right into the action. You know, get out in the world and start exploring and build the character you want to build. That definitely is is a, a game to be remembered. I'm really looking forward to Elder Scrolls Six when that comes out. You know, in 30 years or whenever. <laughs> They announced it, you know, they showed the little teaser a handful of years ago, but there hasn't really been any other word on any timelines or whatever. Uh, Bethesda, the company who made it, they do have their new uh, RPG, a new IP coming out, Starfield, which I am interested in. Um, There's a couple issues I might have with it from what I've heard of to begin with, but um, Bethesda, any game they've made has kind of been a rock star hit. So I'm looking forward to that, but... And that'll be fun, but I'm really looking forward to whatever Elder Scrolls Six will be. And that's whenever they, uh, we find out more information about that, I'll definitely be like plugged in and glued in on that. And we'll picking that up, be picking that up day one. Like I don't even know anything about it, and I know I'm gonna play it. Kind of thing. Yeah, which I mean, you know, that's the thing. Hopefully, hopefully it will come out at some point soon because there is people like our age group, you know, in in our early 30s uh, to mid 30s where we're going to like we don't want to there's there's some people that are starting to age out of the gaming things and i think that's one something that can bring a lot of people back into it because mm. when elder scrolls skyrim released like i said earlier there was something about it that felt special the way that they released it all the special editions they had all the commercials they had which were pretty epic and if if we get something similar to that for six I mean, I think you'll see a resurgence of some of our, some people that have gone away from it as they've right. gotten older. Agreed. Um, yeah, but that one will always hold a special place in my heart for sure. And there'll probably be, you know, again, as many times as I've played, I'll probably end up playing it again at some point. Uh, probably whenever like Elder Scrolls Six more info comes out, I'll be watching that and it'll get me Jones and for some like fantasy RPG stuff. I'm like, well, I guess I got to play Skyrim again. So I'm sure that'll happen at some point. Uh, Anyway, moving on to my last uh, top 10 game in my list would be uh, sticking with the same publisher, Bethesda, a different developer, 
the same publisher would be Fallout New Vegas. Good choice. Yes. Um, Fallout games, it's a similar kind of, you know, thing as Skyrim. It's an open world RPG, but as opposed to a, you know, a medieval fantasy sort of setting, it takes place in a, you know, somewhat kind of future or modern um, post-apocalyptic, you know, post-nuclear detonation world, a wasteland where, you know, society, you know, the uh, nuclear war is very prevalent, prevalent and, you know, imminent in, in the storyline. And so society as a whole built fallout shelters, you know, these big vaults all over the world and stuff that, you know, if nuclear war were to break out, then everyone would retreat and live in these vaults for, you know, hundreds of years till the nuclear fallout in the you know, nuclear winter and all this stuff, the radiation eventually died off enough that, you know, as a civilization, humanity could emerge and rebuild the world. And so in most of the games start out with, you know, you're, you wake up, you know, you're in some sort of vault of some kind and, you know, similar to kind of Skyrim, you'll have like an, an hour or so of gameplay, you know, kind of learning the controls, getting your bearings, this and that, but then you eventually leave the vault and you step out into this wasteland of, you know, mutated animals and creatures and a bunch of raiders and bandits, you know, who have came out earlier, who have like built little encampments and civilizations all over the place. And you just have this wasteland to explore and uh, experience and, you know, see what kind of mysteries lie out there in the distance. Um, but New Vegas particularly was awesome. Um, due to it, you know, it taking place in, in Nevada um, in some of the you know, surrounding towns and stuff, and you eventually um, get to Vegas itself, and there's a lot of stuff on the Strip. But the storyline of it, I, I really, really enjoyed. And all the different, in the similar to Skyrim, like there's just so many side missions and side stories to be heard, and so many different factions throughout the wasteland that each had their own individual stories and progression. And, you know, memorable characters from each of them, just the, the development of the game and the, the story and the lore behind a lot of the stuff was just excellently done, in my opinion. And it's, again, one of those things that as many times as I played it, like I would find missions or people that I had never seen or talked to or missions that I hadn't done before. And so it always had something new and refreshing to be done in it. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it was it was one of my first I played Fallout 3 a little bit, but New Vegas was like one of my first ones I played all the way through Same. more than once. And yeah, I like starting out in that little town. I like, you know, or, you know, you wake up, you've been you've been murdered, you know, spoiler alert, and you've been murdered or thought that you were killed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're the courier and you're out there to, you know, figure out what happened to you and the NCR a lot of fun the Legion a lot of fun the super mm -hmm. mutants were a lot really interesting to me the bumper swords all those right. things you know I remember early on I'd always want to find the guy near the billboard the cowboy kill him and take that revolver so oh, yeah. you know the, there was a revolver that played the music every time you pulled yeah. it out or holstered it yeah and that was a lot of fun I also found that the idea of ammunition types interesting because it was one of the first games i had yeah. played where uh hollow point ammunition incendiary ammunition i can load those separately i can do that kind of thing and i can add some more versatility to these guns right you had options as far as yeah like what you were going to use different modifications to weapons or you know, different ammo types and types of things was it added that uh you know the customization you kind of change your play style uh 
to fit what exactly how you wanted to play. You know, if you wanted to be more stealthy or, you know, have stuff that dismembered the bad guys or something, you know, we could use explosives or whatever, and just melee weapons if you wanted to. But yeah, it was a very, it was, a, again, another one of my first kind of true big RPG experiences that I had that uh, alongside with Skyrim. Yeah, so much fun, so many interesting weapons, so many interesting places, really crazy decisions. I mean, couldn't you destroy that whole town at one point? Um, I think you could stop a, a, a nuclear bomb and blow up. That was up. in three. Oh, was that three? Okay, I remember that very well. Yeah. I, I did it. <laughs> yeah, no, that was it was in uh, three. I forget the name of the town, but yeah, you had there was a nuclear bomb in the middle of the town that hadn't detonated, and you could either choose to disarm it or arm it and then run away, and the whole place would blow up. And and thus the same thing. That's another one of those choices that depending on what you did, you know, there may have been other missions or things to be done there, but because you detonated the bomb, that whole town's just gone now. Yeah, you get that dinging where it's just like this mission fail, 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 because you blew up the whole place or you kill that person. You know, that was one of the other things is you could kill somebody who might be um, important a little bit down the road. You know, like yeah. I remember killing people who annoyed me and it'd be like, give me a tiered list of missions that I failed that I, right now that I've killed that guy, those are just completely off the it, table. It, it, I like that freedom that it gives you that, yeah, like you're able to, completely bypass it and just get rid of missions just by taking somebody out that you know normally would it could have been you know long spanning you know, a couple hour you know missions and stuff but nope they're just all they're gone now you know you do have to reload a save or you know do a different playthrough with a different style later and then you encounter them again but you had that that freedom and that ability to really do whatever you wanted to do it was awesome and a consequence Yes, and, and the consequences that came along with that, that in similar to, you know, Skyrim or some of the, these other RPG games, the things that you did would have lasting and effects later down the road. I've just always uh, really enjoyed that one. I've played through it again. Like some of those ones, I've played through it multiple times. Um, that one, I think, was a little too old to really have, or at least on consoles, to have any of that kind of modding community in it. Um they didn't really have that ability with those uh, older games on older consoles for mods, but I mean, I'm sure, I, I know there's a ton of them on PC. I haven't played through it on PC. Um, but yeah, that's one of those, again, I wouldn't care a bit to play through it again someday just for that kind of, that, at this point, that has a nostalgia factor to it. That again, you know, waking up with the platinum chip, you know, and hearing the music and stuff, you know, war never changes, all that sort of stuff. I can hear the guy's voice in my head saying that, that it just, it brings back good memories. Excellent game. Excellent one. Very, very good. But that pretty much wraps up my uh, top 10 list. And, you know, at least for, for now, you know, who knows what, what games will come out that might take a spot on that list. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful that something good enough comes out to do that. I'm always looking forward to, to new things. Um, and we'll see what comes from that. Um, I will go over a couple, uh, hit a couple honorable mentions of things. Like, you know, it was a pretty big list. I had to, I had to really whittle it down to get to these select few, but, uh, I'll just run through a couple honorable mentions. Um, just the entire Mass Effect series. Um, I know that's something you know you may dive into uh, next episode, but those games again, the lore went deep. The sci-fi was awesome. I, the gameplay was a little janky in certain instances, but um, you didn't. The, the rest of the game was so good, you completely could look past the gameplay on some of those things. But yeah, the characters in that, the uh, choices and. If, stuff you can make in it it was 
an amazing uh, series of games. Um, the Splinter Cell games, another series. Like, that was really my first thing that got me into stealth, you know, true stealth games. That was one of the last really purely stealth games I had played. Dishonored had some similar sort of things, but Splinter Cell really kind of set the pace for what a stealth game could, could be. And I'll still, you know, I can heal, hear Michael Ironside's voice as Sam Fisher in my head. Um, I've read a couple of the Splinter Cell books, and those are really entertaining because I can hear all the characters' voices in my head as I was reading it. Because it's such a unique voice. But those, uh, being able to just sneak up behind somebody and grab them and interrogate them, and then, like, snap their neck and stuff, was, and then, yeah, climbing on pipes and reach down and, you know, strangle somebody or whatever. Like, you felt like a, you know, a modern ninja of sorts, which was amazing. After that, uh, Battlefield 3, um, that was another game we put tons of hours into. It kind of, that was the first one. It, it was kind of a refresh in the Battlefield series. Like, they had a bunch of the older, uh, you know, World War II things or, you know, Battlefield 1942 and stuff. And this took a modern, you know, twist to it, which really was kind of refreshing and, and the gameplay of it was at the time too it looked amazing the graphics were awesome uh, but that was a really good one um, Fable that was another uh, early experience with kind of RPG good versus evil elements um, and choices you made would affect gameplay later down the road that was super fun I gotta throw Minecraft in there you know when that first came out and stuff like that was also a there hadn't been a game like that that procedurally generated world that was kind of endless and you could build anything you wanted to and it was just an open world for you to completely explore and make your own. Um, put a, countless hours into that, just, you know, building stuff. Kind of having fun in that freedom. That was there. But yeah, that kind of wraps up my top ten. But yeah, like, we'd like to hear from you on what are some of your favorite games? Things that, you know, your favorite either through nostalgia that you played as a kid or just had awesome gameplay. And I'd like to hear, you know, what do you think about some of the ones we mentioned? Do you agree with them? Are they some of your favorites? Do you disagree? Let us know. Send us an email to geekETCpodcast at gmail.com. You guys can also follow us at our different uh, social media handles, geekETCpodcast on Twitter and at geekETCpodcast on Instagram. Yeah, uh, yeah. tweet us. Uh, let us know what your favorites are. But I think that'll wrap it up for this week's episode. Good conversations. We'll be looking forward to hearing from you next week and figure out what your top 10 favorite games are. Gonna be. The variety is a little bit different because we came up a little bit different too, you know. So uh, thanks for sharing yours. You know, it's been a fun time and, uh, you know, keep repping what you guys enjoy. Yeah. Keep on geeking out. Yeah.